Hi, I'm Kapil Naizada. I'm the co-founder of two consumer mobility brands called Rayliatri and Intercity Smart Bus. Here's a thought experiment. Imagine what you would get if you merge the efficiency of an airline with the convenience of a bus for intercity travel. Sounds like a dream? Not anymore, thanks to the disruptive mobility startup Intercity. In this episode of the Founder Thesis podcast, your host Akshay Dutt is talking with Kapil Raizada, the co-founder of Intercity Smartbus and Railyatri. This episode is a fascinating story of the classic startup journey. You start with an idea which works to an extent and then you pivot and discover the much bigger idea. Kapil is an incredibly wise founder and shares insights about finding product market fit, how to build with a data-driven mindset and how to scale with capital efficiency. Listen on. And if you like such insightful conversations with disruptive startup founders, then do subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app. I felt that without tech, that consulting is not going to survive the way it is. So we were doing a lot of work on cost reduction exercises at companies, process improvements, manpower planning for different firms. And all that was pen and paper based. And I was thinking this is not going to last too long because a lot of this recommendation that even we used to give at management consulting required some tech platforms to be incorporated, right? So I started to look around and think that, you know, I need to get into some enterprise ERP kind of products, which are anyways driving transformation in organizations. So that was the first thought that came to my mind after I spent a year and a half doing consulting. And then I was trying to look deeper into this entire emerging ERP space and then applied to a company called I2 Technologies. They were basically doing entire supply chain planning platform. That was kind of something that appealed to me because I had done some work in manufacturing operations. And then so I joined I2 Technology. That was my first full-time twist with tech. I did a consulting for a year and a half. I visited different clients and I would look at their entire business processes, entire planning, purchase, et cetera, et cetera. And then we would then deploy tech and then automate a lot of processes. Did that for a year and a half. And then I joined the main product team for that line of business. So Bangalore was becoming the product center. And because I had done a lot of client-facing work, it became a natural choice to somebody to build a product. And I too, at that time, was thinking of launching a product for Asia, a similar product for Asian customers. So I kind of naturally fitted in because I had worked with Asian customers. So that was my break into products, building products, and just working far closer with the engineering teams in terms of what to build. So that gave me a fairly close hand understanding of, of how you build a grounds of product and the entire array of use cases that one would need to think while building a product. That was my journey into the product space. And finally at Global Logic, we I was then helping build products for startups. That was a Global Logic. Global Logic is like a services company. Except that we were I was part of a separate business unit that was focused on only startups. It was that unit was called version one. So version one was basically to go to a startup who's got funded and you say, we'll build the first version of the product. So a lot of entrepreneurs have ideas, but they we can defer the setting up of your org, hiring, taking an office, setting up space, hiring developers, retaining them, all that. You can cut it out. We can be your startup engineering shop, product and engineering shop. Right, right. You can build the MVP. Exactly. So we built a lot of MVPs in a year and a half, uh, about 15 MVPs or so. Many of them went to the market. 
And that was in like 12, 2008 and 9, which is where we, I also got a kind of first flavor of the startup in Kachal, right? All the clients were in the US. There wasn't too much happening in India that way, that, that since we did. The early story, relatively speaking. And that's where I also met Manish, who was the co-founder. At, and So he was at Global Logic, Manish? He was at Global Logic, yeah. We were working together in version 1. From Global Logic to Relia 3, how did that transition to entrepreneurship happen? What was the triggers? So... Me and Manish used to talk on and off. So I left Global Logic actually first. Let me go jump in. I left Global Logic and joined On Mobile at Bangalore. What do they do? On Mobile? On Mobile is basically they build the mobile software for telecom uh, companies. So all your ring back tones, caller tunes, SMS products, data products are built by On Mobile on a revenue share model. Their biggest product that time was the ring back, the caller tunes that you hear. Even here, you when you kind of hear, you know, COVID messages or any message, that's all the ring back tone. So I went into the mobile side. Manish continued in Global Logic for a couple of years. And then this conversation happened. And then Manish left Global Logic and we started looking at travel and we started looking at intercity travel. At that time, we felt that train travel could be quite interesting because we could see obvious problems in the trains domain. We could see several things. We could see uh, more passengers and same number of trains. Since we were born, like in the last 20, 25 years, we had not seen new trains getting launched, right? We could see travel increasing. We could see economy improving. And so we could see a bottleneck emerging where we could see waitlisting increasing and people struggling to find a seat, longer planning horizon, everything, right? So we thought we weren't really sure kya ho sakta hai. We initially did a stint with one of the railway departments themselves, those Chris, to kind of uh, understand how their platforms and how their products work. And uh, as part of that product, we launched uh, something called a rail radar, which where you could see live tracking of trains on maps and all. You could still do that. You could click on a map and see it moving, etc., etc. And this was from data provided directly by the railways. The data provided by them. And we could see that it did have gaps, it did have certain shortcomings, but it also gave us some data on the consumer side of the picture. What kind of questions travelers ask? What kind of queries are coming on the train inquiry side? Uh, what is the split of mobile versus desktop, for example? How does the traffic looks like? And it gave us some insight as to where consumers are heading, where is the, what are the channels that they use, what are the modes that they use, what questions do they ask, etc., etc. What is getting answered, what is not getting answered. So th- this was like a consumer-facing product you built for the railways uh, as a, like you took this up as a project or an assignment. Yes, we took it as a project, yeah. yeah. So they already had a consumer-facing product, we kind of built on it. This was for uh, IRCTC or like the railways? This is one of, Chris has a separate train inquiry service. IRCTC is for booking, train inquiry, railways themselves does. What is Chris? The inquiry handling platform. So gave us some idea and then I think we, at one point then we decided that we have a fair idea of the travel space and we should take the direct route now. So after a year or so, we basically went direct. Okay. You had already quit uh, on mobile by this time. Even before that, I think that Chris assignment started, I had quit on mobile. And this Chris assignment would have given you some revenues to at least have the confidence that you can leave a salary job and sustain yourself. So that's important. That project was generating some revenues. And so that kind of got it started. But it, we also knew that this is not a... It's not a long-term thing. It's not a sustainable thing. So there is a time, this clock is ticking and uh, we need to get going sooner or later. Then we decided to start off on our own. We also got an angel funding by that time to one of our connects in the US. What was your pitch? What did you want funding for? What did you want to build? Yeah, so at that time, we were basically building a product for 
train travelers in India. And we basically, the pitch at that time was that this space has been unexplored. Uh, it's 100% government-owned. There are no consumer and tech products out there. And given that it is the first choice of travel and there's nothing else that competes at this price point, there is really no competition from a consumer perspective. Everybody has to catch a train sooner or later. And there is an opportunity, kind of a greenfield opportunity to build consumer products around because mobile adoption is going up, data adoption is going up. And that cold telephone-based inquiries are going to go out of fashion pretty soon. So it was at that time a traffic story. It was not a revenue story. Okay. So like you were saying that you could monetize traffic through advertisements or on something simpler. Right. So at that point, we thought that if we get enough traffic, we can monetize through hotels, buses, cabs. Travelers do a lot of spend. Intercity travelers anyway do a lot of spend. So that was the thing. And then we got started and we had... And why would the travelers come to the product? What was their problem that you were solving? So basically, we created a platform which had a lot of content which was not existing at that point in time. For example, at that time, we launched the first waitlist prediction, uh, this thing. What does waitlist 25 mean? Will it get confirmed or not? Right? Because waitlist 100 is just too bad. Why Why are you even buying a waitlist 100 ticket? It has never got confirmed in the last like six months. You're just locking your money. So we started giving meaning to some of the data that was traditionally thrown out. But how did you get to predict you need historical data, right? How did you get historical data? So we had to seed a lot of data ourselves initially. So we were seeding. Like in what way? Like? Let's say uh, all the disruption that happened in, during the day. So railways does make announcements, for example. So and so trains are going to get delayed because of all this maintenance work happening across the country. So we created a master list of all the connections in the country. That was a time-consuming effort. If you tell me that some section between Lonawala and Pune is under maintenance, we can tell you all the trains that are likely to get affected. Fast food may not necessarily end or terminate to one of those points, right? So if you have a ticket and we can tell you that your train is likely to be affected, we started telling platform number of trains, what platform does your train arrive. That may change the way you approach the railway station. I, Old Delhi, you want to go side from a Ajmeri Gate or Paragan side, Bombay, which side you want to go, right? And this was all like manually collected, like a lot of data was seeded manually and then you build crowdsourcing on top of it. So basically what we realize is that if I ask customer for data, they're not going to tell it. People are too busy in their own things. But if I tell you actually that the platform number is seven and someday it might be eight and I ask you to update it, if today didn't come on seven, then you will update it. So editing is easier than entering right? or flagging it off if you disagree is easier. But in the content space, one needs to seed content to get the engagement going. So a lot of content was initially seeded uh, in this case. And once the data starts to flow in, then the algorithms kick in. So the classic case is the waitlisted number, for example, right? It does take time for, and one may not have data for all the trains, for all the classes, all the combinations. So we need the users to give us PNR numbers, for example, or, or some journey details. So our, our system where I would say, we'll tell you if your journey is going to be delayed or not, people will tell us where they are going. So give some free information for their trip, get the trip ID, and then see what happens on that this thing, and then build the data on top of it. So the first six months would usually be a slow growth, but then one can expect the multiplier effect to start kicking in after the first year onwards. So pretty much the same happened with us. I think the first three, six months were slow. And by the time we did the first year, we had almost like a million users on our system. This was a mobile app, web app? I guess at that time, mobile apps were not dominant, right? No, actually, we started this in 2013 late with a mobile website. 2014, we started the mobile app. 
And uh, the mobile app started picking up pretty, I would say, reasonably well. Data adoption, if I were to think back from 14 onwards, has been fairly strong. And then fares, then the data costs were dropping all the way. Then Geo came in. So all those things further accelerated adoption of data and mobile. So that's how it started. So there's no commerce layer yet. Like by when did you? So exactly. So there was no commerce layer yet. So we started seeing traffic. And then the next thing we realized we had two ways to go, either build more traffic or build a revenue layer on top of it. And that's where we decided to put a revenue layer on top of it. And uh, so we had to take a call. Is it going to be like a Facebook kind of a product with 100 million, billion users? Or is it going to be a traffic-led revenue product? We kind of felt that it's not going to be a Facebook kind of a product. It's going to reach out to a certain level and then it's going to start to plateau off. So revenue products made more sense because traffic products will not fetch high valuation unless one really crosses that 100 million kind of uh, half a billion or billion user kind of a base. So th- those are like I- inherently more risky, like only one out of 100 products which are aiming for large user base will actually cross that chasm to become highly valued. Exactly, exactly. So when we looked in the market, we felt 1 million is fine, 10 million that points out there, 10 to 20 to 50 to 100. And after 100 is when you start thinking, is it going to, is it a product that 500 million people will ever use? What's the use case? How frequently will it be used? Intercity travel, will people use daily? And no unlikely is going to be once a quarter, which means uninstalls will also happen, et cetera, et cetera. So it kind of was obvious that it's going to go the revenue way. When was this when you took this decision to focus on? 2015. Okay, uh, which is when you had a million users. Huh? Yeah, we were between like, uh, I would say 5 million there about, 2 to 5 million thereabouts is where we would be. And so at that time, we initially launched, starting this concept of ordering food on train. There was a small company in Kochi called Yatra Chef. We did it on our own. And initially, then we hired a company called Yatra Chef, which was also trying to do food on train. Except that they didn't have train traveler access. They had the product. What is the product here? Is it a cloud kitchen product or a aggregators? No, they were a marketplace tying up with kitchens close to railway stations and delivering food on train. Was it like Zomato, you choose the kitchen or was it like standard menu? So at that time, it was you choose the kitchen. So there were like restaurants were listed. You can choose the menu choose the kitchen and it comes to you. Later on, we standardized, we removed the kitchen, we just said choose the menu. Yeah. So they were doing a certain run rate and we felt that with our user base, we could easily do 20x, 10x, 20x, what that was. So they probably wouldn't have so much data also, like which platform will the train stop at? And Exactly, right? You need the data for, the, for yourself. You need the data for the restaurant also to deliver. And you need the data for the consumer to tell them that the food is on the way and it's going to come, etc. So everybody wanted that information on train platform, location, etc. So that was the first step that we took. We added food on train. And this was like a, how much operational control was it? Was it like you're essentially passing on the order and then the restaurant is responsible for logistics, delivery, all of this? Yeah. Collecting payment. Correct. Collecting payment and margins in the process. That's what, that's how it started off. And then we added a few more things. Then we said, let's add some more products for the train travelers. So we added hotels around railway stations. We added bus ticketing, taxi booking, etc., etc. Pretty much other things that travelers need. So like each of these are like, massive companies in itself no like bus ticketing taxi booking hotel booking so like how did you do it did you have like collaborations with platforms or did you build your own supply building supply is the challenge here right so for bus ticketing hotel we didn't build supply we basically plugged in supply onto our platform like through through an existing travel portal yeah we are trying to make it a full-fledged travel portal for the travelers and that's when we realized that 
putting an offering to the traveler is not enough. It, it, is, it is not a question of supply or demand. And we experimented with a set of products. So we launched hotels by the hour. We could see people coming early morning at five o'clock, six o'clock from stations. They have the work all day and three hour, four hour hotels is what they need. So we, we had put in two hour, four hour hotel booking stays, etc. Some inventory we added on our own. But if I were to sum it all up, getting traffic is one part of the story. And it's, it's, it's a tough part of the story for sure, but it's one part of the story. But a high travel traffic does not necessarily mean high transactions because to get them to transact requires a lot more things to be done. And there are, I think, again, two separate aspects of it. One is just the buying experience itself in terms of how smooth it is, how well-defined it is, is it unambiguous, payments, etc., etc. And then the second element is the aspect of choice and competition and pricing. Right. So especially for a portal which is selling a product that is also available elsewhere, price tends to be a very significant factor. So if I'm selling a hotel room, let's take any three-star Kumar hotel in Delhi, and that hotel is being sold on ClearDiv, Booking.com, Make My Trip, Go Ibi Go, etc., etc. Many users may go to check the price of the same hotel in all the five portals and then the one that's the cheapest with the same hotel at the end of the day. So while a lot of platform refinements do go in, price competitiveness is pretty much a necessity, I would say, to scale up because the end product is the same. And we saw that fairly consistently across multiple products that we were selling that even if it was a bus ticket, for example, or a taxi, for example, right? People will basically go and try and see where can I get the same bus or the same taxi at the lowest price. This taxi must have been through like an Uber or an Ola tie-up, right? No, okay. So these were intercity taxis, by the way. So it would be like Aha, Cab, Savari, or some of these Gozo Cab. There were like three or four cab aggregators who were doing intercity taxis. And for hotels, how did you plug in the supply? Hotels, we had an inventory from Yatra at that point in time. What about buses inventory? Like for booking bus? Buses was coming from uh, the usual uh, aggregators, Bitla, Red Bus, towards the aggregators were giving us uh, inventory. Abibus, uh, they were giving inventory. Right? And it kind of, we noticed that we could ramp up the volumes if we were willing to offer better pricing than other portals based on the discount coupons or codes or marketing plan, et cetera, et cetera, the deals that you offer, volumes could go up or go down. And, and while we were doing and we could see business scaling up, it was always a function of burn. So it, if somebody is selling 5,000 tickets a day, you don't have 10,000 tickets a day, then you probably have to be more aggressive on your on the coupon that you give out and the spend you give out, right? Practically between, I would say, 2016, 17 and a bit of 18, the entire commission that the platforms were earning, all that and a little bit more used to be given out as onboarding incentive or booking discounts. And, and we also saw through a phase of fairly heavy discounting. Paytm had just entered travel at that point of time. Make My Trip was there, Amazon. And as we were kind of building it up, felt that this is not going the way of being sustainable over a period of time. So by 2018, what was your user base? Like from that 5 million-ish? Yeah, so we were by that time about 15, 20 million, if I remember right. What kind of transactions were happening or like number of transactions or top line or DMV, like? So we would be doing about like 7,000 transactions a day is what we would be doing by that time. Okay, okay. In this food, food is the one business which was totally like more integrated and owned by you. The others were through other platforms. Yes, it owned by us. Yes, yes, exactly. It was integrated. In food business, you were directly acquiring restaurants near stations and... 
Railway stations, yes. Food business was profitable for us, but we felt that it is not so easy to scale across all the stations. And the reason was that food is consumed typically during two slots of the day, let's say between 1 to 3 and 7 to 9. And then we were looking at combinations of trains stopping at reasonably decent stoppages during those meal hours. It is possible that at two to four, at one to three, a train doesn't stop, for example. It is possible. Train schedules are not designed to coincide with meal hours. Second, trains may land after after 10 p.m. and the restaurants get closed. Early morning, restaurants don't open before 7, 8 p.m., a.m., 9 a.m., right? Then, then also other things in the sense that sometimes the stoppage time may be less, five minutes. And train stoppage times have been declining. And if I were to factor on top of it, for a person to order food, it needs to be more than an overnight journey. If you are starting in the evening and reaching early morning, then you probably had food already. You will have food once you reach home, right? It's really the prime use case was coming down to people with more than 10, 12 hours of journey. right? And some premier trains had their kitchens like Rajdhani and Shabai. You had to pay for the food anyways, right? So all that was eating into the potential market. The total addressable market by itself was not very big here. Yes. And then the entire operational thing, the last piece was that the on-time performance of trains wasn't too, was, it has never been too good, by the way. So from a passenger perspective, what that means is two things. One is, one is they don't know if, if let's say, train scheduled time is 9 p.m. That is one. And second, I think food by nature is something that you only think of when you are hungry. You don't think in advance. Yeah, 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 that's true. So bookings for lunch will actually kick in from 11 a.m. or 12 noon. You know, you can tell people, you know, ek din pehle book kar jayega, but you know, at that time, they have other things on their mind. They're thinking how to take a cab. And the next important thing is typically how people will you know, think about it. So this was not that uh, on-demand types, like how, say, Zomato can deliver within 30 minutes. So it, our time was about 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. However, station, the, the thing is, when Zomato comes to your home, he knows where to catch you. He knows the home address. But when Zomato goes to a train coach, you're saying S3 on this train which today coming in platform number 10 and hold on is going to be there only for 7 minutes. You have an added layer of complexity in the delivery process. And if you're not controlling delivery delivery staff, then it's like very, very difficult to ensure consistent quality. Exactly. So even if you were to do that, just coordinating the moving train coming to a stop and the guy coming on place and there's a time things to be managed, there is a complexity that has to be done. So while the business has, this business, by the way, has survived a lot of ups and downs and it's, it makes business sense to do it, but it is not a venture fundable business from that perspective is what my take is. Time is not big enough, right? Correct. And the second realization that, I mean, we had when we went deeper is that we started to actually internally question the OTA model itself, the entire OTA model. What is OTA? Like the marketplace model, online travel aggregators. Okay, okay, okay. Online travel aggregators. Where a marketplace is, every marketplace is selling exactly the same product to the customers, which, so let's take the case of flight ticket, right? You can book a flight from six platforms, let's say, right? But everybody is filing, finally selling an Indigo or a Vistara flight. Same seat, same airline, right? So that model itself, we internally debated quite a bit that how do I create a differentiation? Can I charge one rupee more than the next guy or not? That's where the question came down to, right? And I think the answer that we kind of felt that the guy who's willing to sell for one rupee less will always have an advantage. There may be some stickiness that can be generated, but it is going to be a tough ask because the differentiation is very low. So the deepest pocket will win 
and the shallowest pocket will be the first to lose. How deep was your pocket, incidentally, in the sense that how much did you raise? And so we had raised about 15 million by that time, one five, which is not enough considering the size of which is wow, well, it's not enough at all. It is not enough to get into the deep burn business. And we also felt that if we were to kind of getting into the business where people are ready to burn 100 million, 200 million to finally be the last man standing and then make profits. We kind of felt that is not the direction we should gun for. So there the conversation started that it is important for us to have products that are there. We should be the brand owner if we have to build a travel product. People should ask, this is the product I want. It doesn't matter who sells it. So we should not be the channels because channels by definition and online channels even more so will struggle to justify margins at any time in the future is what basically we said. It doesn't take much to set up an online distribution channel. You set up a portal and bring the APIs are all there and then you go get going. And so with that perspective, so this is now 2018, right? We have a business, we have traffic, we have products selling growing but margins are not showing up so we have two options here either to raise more capital to support these products or think of a line of business which generates margins a lot of travel companies had already raised large amounts of money by that time so make my trip was there clear trip was there booking and we felt that again we have a choice either we continue from a traffic perspective and sell leads sell users basically right or we marry this traffic to a product travel product of our own that we own that's where better value will come. So that's when we chose the latter path again. So when we looked at the landscape again, we said train tickets to train tickets. It's like the government is doing train tickets. We can do some part of it. Food we know is capped, not a high time, right? And we can't run our own trains despite whatever the problem in the train system is. So basically, taxis we eliminated. We were doing long distance taxis. We said niche market is not large enough, is what we felt, intercity travel market. Overline Uber, we were never into it. It's an intra-city market and these guys had already two big players already defined the market and matured very rapidly with Ola and Uber. Flights has been done for a long time. So we started to focus more on the buses side. So we said, let's look at buses. Now, interestingly, we had been selling bus tickets for a while and we had a whole laundry list of complaints. The bus industry, incidentally, was giving the maximum complaints across all the products we were selling. What kind of complaints? Oh, all kinds of complaints. The bus that was sold didn't exist. There was no bus. The bus that you told me didn't turn out to be that bus. You said it's going to be a, a Volvo turned out to be something else. Then it didn't go the way, it, it didn't go the route. It, you said it will go. It didn't even go to the destination that was told to me. You know, the drivers were behaved that way. People may abuse me, uh, this, that. All sorts of challenges were there, right? It's a, and because we were selling the product as an, just as a channel, we still ended up getting a lot of complaints because people say, I booked a ticket at Rail Yatri, then you solve my problem. And we could say, but... I'm not the operator and we'll pass it the problem back, but they will still come to us. So the volume of problem being so severe, we started to go deeper into this domain. And that's when we realized that this sector probably had the maximum problems compared to trains, flights, and buses and taxis. Bus is probably the most fragmented and unregulated private industry compared to the other modes that are available. And they're like... Literally, there are like dozens of operators on every route that you want to go. I didn't ask you, by the way, where are you from, where are you based, Akshay? I grew up in Delhi. Currently, I'm not there. Currently, I'm in Japan, but grew up in Delhi. Yeah. So Delhi, if you want to go to Lucknow to catch a bus to Amritsar, Jalandhar, Jaipur, you get many buses. There will be like 50, 60 operators running two, three buses each. And the experience could be dramatically different depending on who you end up with. being. 
what were these players like Redbus doing? They were they were channel. they doing just a ticket sales outlet? Say what Make My Trip is doing? Yeah, they are the channels. Okay, just tickets. There's no branding, quality control, none of that. It's not like what say Oyo is doing. Like say Oyo does branding, quality control. No, Oyo, no. Oyo was a model, not the bus. Exactly. They would rate the bus, but they would not control it. And we could also see from our train data. On a route that on the same day a train is waitlisted like 200, totally sold out all trains. Buses are still going as available, and we had built a crossover product that would allow these waitlisted train travel to take a bus. Okay, now imagine these people have paid the full price of the ticket of a train ticket two three days in advance. On the day of the journey, they are denied boarding because train is sold out, and we tell them, "Will you take this bus instead?" And most people say, "No, we'll come back some other day." So obviously, there's something to do with bus travel that people were not ready to sign up for. So when we did our entire ground research, we went through a whole lot of feedback, bus operator, etc. We realized there is scope for OYO on buses, if I were to use that word. There is a standardization required. And we felt that bus industry is far more amenable to standardization than hotels, actually. So OYO is trying it for hotels. But actually, hotels cannot be standardized. Okay, why is that? See, you can't say every hotel will face a park. Hotel is where it is, where it is. Location is given. I can say all buses will be the same because they are an OEM manufactured product. Some will be in front of a drain, some hotel will be in front of a park, some maybe wherever they are. Your location is already given. Second, your plot size in the hotel is already given, which means your building is already constructed. Entrance, lobby, everything is fixed. You can't change anything, right? Not so with buses. Buses are all built to one spec. I I can have 5,000 buses, all exactly the same. So the product is far more amenable to standardization than hotels, what these guys have been doing, which we never felt really was a standardizable product. Now, a room is 8 by 8 What are you going to do about it? You can put an amenity inside the room for sure, but you can't do much about the property. The second thing is, a bus is a mobile product. I can get it where I want it to be to do inspection, quality enforcement, checks, etc. I can't get all hotels in one place for me to do a check, right? We have to, people have to go all over the town to kind of really see what's happening. But a mobile asset is far more amenable to not just standardization, it is far more amenable to control and monitoring of what's really happening out there. So when we do the route planning or the parking slot planning or etc, etc, we can do a lot of the efficiencies of scale are far more possible on something like a bus than they're on something like a real estate product. So it did offer a lot of advantage. And we said that this, a lot of data tells us that this is a large opportunity, probably the largest that we felt in the space that we had overlooked so far. And it marries very well to our train traveler traffic because we know trains are in short supply. And buses are the only other mode of travel which can take a person at the same cost as a train and yet make healthy margins. So when we mapped it all together, we felt that we should have done this earlier. And that's where the intercity smart bus got born. Connected buses with telematics platform inside them, entire full stack enterprise platforms, standard operating processes. There were a lot of challenges in the bus space too. For example, you really don't know where to catch a bus. It's usually by some bada choraha or gol choraha or some places, etc, etc, right? Some, some landmark, right? Some landmark, flyover ke niche. In Delhi, there's like Mahamaya flyover ke niche bus lukta hai, right? It might be raining, it might be whatever, whatever, right? It may not be safe. People hesitate standing with their families late night, carrying their valuables by the roadside standing, right? We tied up with a lot of boarding partners, created boarding zones, introduced a host inside the bus, which we call the bus captain. 
no fighting with the driver before we come to this tell me about the first prototype bus you must have worked on one prototype bus fitted it out tell me about that you know that journey of finding building something which you said i am happy with this kind of a bus you know what, what all did you go through that journey like yes i ended up with the first partner for delhi lucknow we were based in delhi and we thought uh, tier 1 to tier 2 is where basically we felt the market was initially we thought that we could get the bus operators to do on their own what did you promise to the partners that you tied up with so it also went through iteration initially we suggested that why don't you do these things and we will support you on it and but after few conversations we realized that things are not going to happen and you would guarantee revenue initially we didn't but later we said to launch it we should guarantee some minimum revenue to them the first operator we said that it costs let's say 25000 rupees per trip this is the bus we want this is it will start this is where it land and you will pay 25000 rupees if you do this that's how it started so irrespective of number of tickets sold so it is irrespective of number of tickets sold yeah risk free revenue for the operator yeah risk free revenue for the operator and uh, we branded the bus in a certain certain way and we started to advertise the bus on our platforms and we started to ply the bus and you must have fitted it out with some sensors and stuff like that what all did you do there yeah so i think our initially focus was standard vehicle clean and hygienic punctual timing maintenance checked and a trained captain inside the bus and you had a gps in it so that real time information punctuality and and departures can be tracked so if those three promises i think are still relevant people want safe travel reliable no surprises and punctual we added a couple of just having a professional staff crew i we felt was important because for various reasons one was to ensure and enforce that what we wanted to happen was happening so this bus captain was your on your payroll or it was our guy yes so passengers would not talk to the driver at all there was no need this person would be our eyes and ears and also give us consumer feed direct consumer feedback because it's like a impartial person on the bus on complaints whatever that don't get in the system go to the captain he has no reason to hide any complaint right correct the other thing that we later on did was we added a toilet inside the bus is it easy to do that or do you need like those volvo buses actually even volvo bus don't have toilets and we know very few buses in india have toilets and it's not because they can't be fitted it is just that i think we haven't heard the consumers enough i think on that for a 7 8 hour journey overnight i don't think we'll get into a train if it doesn't have a toilet overnight train i don't think we'll even take a 3 hour flight if there isn't a toilet in the on the flight but here we want people to take a 10 12 hour journey without a urinal it has i still think it has been a deal breaker for a very large segment of our society our highways have improved quite a bit they are wider and and faster but what it also means is that relieving yourself in the middle of the night is not so safe anymore by the roadside i mean yeah most highways now have those rails exactly they also have rails yeah they are lighted and then when you think of you know people in the middle age women children families it's a deal breaker and what we believe then and we still that there is enough data to support that is i don't think it's that those two seats the cost of the two seats is not the real reason i think it's just lack of i must say consumer centricity in the way this operations are being run those two or four seats is equally true for a flight and equally true for a bus or a train or whatever right for a 34 sleeper 32 sleep seat sleeper bus adding two removing two seats is like 3% Or 5% or whatever revenue it is i think that 5% can be more than compensated you can charge more absolutely it's a feature a lot of consumers will pay for yeah instead of 1000 rupees i'm saying i'm going to 1050 rupees so basically i think it's a question of listening to the customers and uh, putting a product that basically meets the basic and somewhere in the way we think about it akshay is that 
bus travel should be equal to a greater than train travel experience. If that can be done, then the entire country is ours. All along, it has been her buses have been a lesser cousin to trains. That's the mindset, Indian mindset. Trains are better than buses. And there's a reason for that. You have the government backing and you think there's far more trust. But that's where the opportunity is. If a brand can build convenience and trust at par with trains, then the demand is endless. So tell me the journey of making that customer experience better. So your first decision was a clean, well-maintained bus and put your own captain and put GPS so that you can ensure punctuality. Then the next decision was putting the toilet? or The toilet was pretty much part of the original conversation. Yeah. And this is like a unisex toilet. Yeah, it's a unisex toilet. Correct. Yeah. And, and basically then a lot of improvements went into the entire telematics Data collection, punctuality, defining standard operating processes. If you look at the way we finally built the old crew app where a lot of vehicle data gets captured into the app and displayed. The entire consumer uh, information is given to the captain. So you would know that Akshay is traveling today, the third time traveler. And last time we had complained about a rattling window. Okay, so it's literally the kind of stuff which a five-star hotel would be doing in terms of tracking consumers and yes to for that to work you need to have strong customer verification processes so when you board you will be required to give an otp like what you would do on an ola or an uber so we know it's akshay who is boarding the bus and the captain has pretty much data of all the people all the passenger roster is on the tra- on the captain's mobile along with their history and some key information about the traveler and if someone doesn't show up the uh, captain can even call them and tell them that we are waiting for you he does. And even if, and if you, let's say, I want to make change your trip, let's say, right, you could do that from your phone. You can also call the crew inside the bus from your phone, like you would call your Uber driver in case he doesn't show up. We map, we marked all the locations accurately on Google Maps. So you know exactly what are the landmarks, where to wait. Outlets, boarding zones were identified and told to travelers. Instructions on do's and don'ts were told to travelers. Luggage policy was defined. What kind of do's and don'ts? So essentially like the airline SOPs, which are theirs, luggage. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, do's and don'ts would be, you know, what kind of luggage you can carry, where can you put certain kind of luggage, where the bus will stop, where it won't stop, usage of toilet, how it can be done. Etc. There are a number of those things that we kind of started to define for the industry. Amazing, amazing. I can just imagine how the experience would might be similar to when you're sitting in a flight before takeoff and you know you get all those instructions. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. And maybe I didn't mention it, but a large part of a fleet is our flatbed sleeper buses. It's like your AC two-tier compartment. I've seen these from outside. I've never personally been on one, but yeah, I've... No, but you would have seen the train, the two AC two-tier train. Yes. It's very much like the AC two-tier train. They're like two layers of berths. Now you can climb up to the upper one or you can sleep on the lower one. And those kind of buses are actually catching up a lot in India. AC sleeper buses are, are increasing pretty rapidly for various reasons. One is better buses. Vehicle quality is getting better and better. These buses are uh, more comfortable, less noisy, faster. Second is the roads are becoming so much better. So it's possible to sleep then? It's possible to sleep and it's possible for buses to overnight. 10 years back, if they could do 400 kilometers, they can do 600 kilometers overnight. Bangalore, Hyderabad is a typical 560, 570 kilometers overnight. The other reason why buses are being preferred is, see a train is like a thousand people sit in a train. 
it stops at 15 places before it reaches the destination. A bus doesn't need to do that. It's a 30-seater. It just goes points to point pretty much non-stop. It's a far more efficient way of travel. Uh, no detours or divergence or intermediate stoppages are required. And lastly, because the lot size is small, right, you can book it on the day of travel as two or one or two days before travel. So more and more travelers would like to take a travel decision closer to the date of journey. Yeah, we're living in an on-demand world now. Exactly. And you can see it very clearly, you know, that the number of passengers who want to book 30 days is like almost dropping down to zero. Unless somebody is retired or those kind of folks may do that. But you and I don't know what's happening 10 days down the line, 30 is just too far. So people do want a travel option to be available pretty much 24, 48 hours per time frame. Buses allow that. And because they are themselves a mobile vehicle, buses usually have pickup point closer to one's home. So everybody doesn't have to go to that one station to board. And that often cuts down the commute cost of travel. You can have multiple drops like in Hyderabad when the bus reaches Hyderabad, then it can have three, four drop, drop off points. Yeah, so we would typically have like a dozen plus drops inside the city. So that would cover practically most of the areas that one would want to go. So hopefully people then need to spend additional like 50, 100 rupees in your home. And that's another convenience why I think this medium scores over, over trains. What work did you do on telematics? And like you said, you retooled the data around that. Yeah. So initially what we did was there were two partners who were offering telematics for buses. A lot of, by the way, vendors who offer telematics for buses. Yeah, just could you define telematics also once for the listeners? But telematics basically is, firstly, it's a box which contains, ideally should contain multiple SIMs, at least two. SIM cards for data connectivity. And there should be some redundancy built into it. So like a fault tolerance connectivity is the first piece. Right. Then there are some devices that are fitted in the bus. There will be a GPS, there will be a CCTV, more than one, typically two cameras. There should also be a Wi-Fi device inside the bus because now the SIM is there. We can offer Wi-Fi to travelers. Then usually there's a display board inside the bus which will throw out the current location. You can see where the bus right now, if you get up, you can look at the display board. Next stop and things like that. Next stop, speed, things like that. This data is also streamed to our cloud server so we can find out what happened in the bus three days back what was happening. We can track the punctuality. We can track which route did the bus take, why did it stop, where, etc., etc. the entire thing. What were the speeds and things like that. There are some more things that are being added in terms of how much water levels are in the toilet, how much the temperature is inside the bus. Actually, there's no end. Now, the number of sensors is like amazing. You can pretty much plug in as much as you want. Vibrations inside the bus can also be monitored. For example, we get a sense of the, this thing. How comfortable the ride is. Mm. How comfortable the ride is. The bus requiring some maintenance, etc., etc. So more and more sensors. So what we did was we initially had two or three partners who were giving us this price. And then we narrowed down a couple of companies who were basically building this telematic solution. And now the challenge with multiple vendors is that every guy will, the box will throw up its data in their own format, which means we need to build interfaces and everybody will not give the same data the same way. In 2020, we again acquired the technology, the telematics technology, which we standardized across the entire platform. As in you bought a company, you did a acquire? Yeah, we bought a tech platform, the entire technology. We had a company called Goldseat and we acquired that, that tech platform entirely. And we said, this will be the this will be the intercity platform going forward. Every bus, every box, a standard box gets fitted. So 
there is no custom software development required. We can now build our entire analytics platform, assuming that data will come in a certain format. So this box is now your own box in a way. Like you, you probably, you assemble it. Uh, you probably import the components and assemble. Got it. Correct. Correct. We build the entire component. Right. So we have like these boxes ready. Every time a bus comes on, board, the same box gets fitted. And it just starts to stream exactly what we want from day one. It's far easier to train this crew, the train, the operating staff. It just, it just works seamlessly. That's part of the stack now. So the telematics is part of our the four own intensity stack. So we perhaps have the only first integrated platform that has everything right down from Akshay, who traveled last day between Bangalore to Hyderabad. I know when did you travel, your travel history, which vehicle you have traveled, right down to the registration number, which seat you sat in or berth you slept in, who were the crew who greeted you and treated you during the journey, the driver, the route it took, the path it went through, the punctuality of this thing, your satisfaction, and it's integrated to an operator portal where complaints are visible to them pretty much in near real time. So today we are able to calculate, the system automatically calculates customer satisfaction scores, consumer NPS on a per day, per trip level, on a per bus level. And this data gets fed back to everybody who's required to take action onto it. Like every morning you have data coming in what happened overnight and brings in a lot of velocity and the speed to the entire business. And some of it goes towards the bus operators. Some of it goes towards strengthening the SOPs, the processes itself. Some of it goes through building better reports and better intelligence. How? Do, what is the process of bus onboarding? Like does the bus get a like a fresh paint with your colors and logo and all of that or like work? So the buses have to, so the buses are usually, they are standard buses. There's not much customization required in the bus itself, but they have to go through the branding process and the telematics box. So you only onboard brand new buses, like you would not work with operators? We, we onboard existing buses also. See, actually, so we are not in the business of, how should I put it? We're not selling customer new buses or fancy buses. Our customers are still middle class, upper middle class folks going about their business or work, salesmen, traders, businessmen, government employees, students, families traveling for personal this thing. And we are not saying, hey, we have a different kind of a bus. All that we are saying is that buses on our platform will give you a standard level of quality, safe travel and punctual operations. So basically, maintain buses, travel, punctual this thing, courteous staff, staff is supposed to be courteous. And they're on your payroll, so that is much more in your control. Only the one person is on our payroll, which is the person who these consumers are supposed to interact with. The traditional driver and the cleaner continue to be and do their jobs. So what is your pitch to the bus operators now? What is your arrangement with them? Is it still the same per trip payment or is it a revenue share? There have been some, I would say, refinements in the model. But largely, we do cover a certain part of the cost. That model has remained largely the same. What has improved over time is our consumer retention, our demand side, our pricing, our revenue per bus. Those things have improved. That's where we've expanded to new routes. How did you improve pricing? So pricing is more of a science, actually, in terms of it's a function of your demand forecast. It's a combination of technology recommending a price and then some other competitive parameters coming in and maybe required to be tweaked by some pricing experts. So it's a combination of, of basically how we foresee demand on a particular day. And it will change. It's like a flight pricing. Okay, so it's like dynamic pricing. The closer, if you book something two hours before, you'll end up paying more as compared to... Yeah, so the pricing will change pretty much based on what's the forecast. 
it's a function of forecast, how much inventory you have, what's the market selling at, etc., etc. Or if you see that there is a lot of waitlist happening for one particular route on trains, then you can predict that there will be more demand. And- Absolutely. So that we typically get to know 24 hours earlier. So our dashboard will show that trains are sold out, not sold out, whatever this thing is, what's the market rate on, on what are the other players offering, what's their inventory, what's our inventory, so all that people check up and then they may tweak the pricing based on that. Amazing. amazing. So this is sounding more and more like running an airline now. Even your pricing works the way airline pricing works. Amazing. Okay. And so how are you increasing your route coverage? How are you scaling up supply? Because then I guess a very big chasm to clear is to build strong supply, right? If you build supply fast... Supply is what people normally expect to be a challenge. My take is that supply is not a challenge. You asked about what is the pitch to the operators. But take a case on any route, right, where there are, let's say, 70 operators running a bus, running their own buses. And that's, and this is not an exaggerated, any route will get 50 plus operators running a bus. And you look at the view from, you look at the operator's view of the world. 50 players competing on a route, all of them having marginally differentiated product or I could say practically there's no differentiation in most of the product. Trying to sell seats to travelers and not having direct demand, control over direct demand. So the biggest question a bus operator faces is, will my bus get sold today? How do I sell my tickets on my bus? And finally, everybody depends on an agent. It could be an online agent, it could be an offline agent. If you look at the trends, more and more travelers are moving to online, right? And if you look at online, more and more travelers will look at rating, review, and reputation before doing an online purchase. What do travelers look for? They will basically sort by price and sort by rating. That's what they'll do. What that means is if they're sorting by ratings and then looking at price, they will probably, and that's happening already, the top 5-10 entries will get pretty much 80% of the demand. So the question for a bus operator is that there are like 50 of you out there, and let's take the top 10 entries will get 80% of the demand. What's going to happen to the bottom 50-60, bottom 80% of the market? And our conversation to the operators is that how sure are you that given the way you are running service today, will you be in that top 10 or bottom 90? Because now you are struggling for demand. And the demand is expensive anyways, by the way. The channel commissions in the bus industry are the highest. How high do they go? So... OTS typically charge 12% of the ticket value. Offline agents will charge anywhere between 15 to 20%. So that's about, on an average, then you are already lost, like one-fifth one of your revenue is already gone in commissions. And on top of that, you're not getting demand in the first place. So from a bus operator, if you, are, if you decide to run a bus from Delhi to Lucknow, let's say, and let's say it costs 25000 to run the bus from Delhi to Lucknow. If you decide to run it Delhi to Lucknow, then you have to run Lucknow to Delhi the day after also. That's also a foregone conclusion. It must come back. What that means is you should be very sure that your return revenue on the bus on two consecutive days should be at least 50000 or more. Otherwise, you're better, you're better off just keeping the vehicle parked. So our pitch to the bus operators is that unless you have increasingly where we are heading is you would need to have a far more reliable and a sophisticated system for managing demand, forecasting demand, pricing based on the forecasted demand and taking uh, fleet scheduling decisions based on revenue maximization and not simply because you've done it every day so far. Yeah, most traditional operators would have fixed route, fixed price, which would mean that they would leave a lot of money on the table because they're not doing, they're not taking advantage of spikes in demand as much. And like they would often not have full occupancy also. 
Correct, correct, correct. And so what they would do is, and that's where the dissatisfaction comes in. Say, and now what happens, my bus is 60% full. So let me delay the departure by two more hours. Get more Savari. Get more Savari. Or let me do one thing. I'm going to Delhi Lucknow. Let me take a detour of Agra. Maybe I can get five more people over there. I didn't plan to enter Agra, but today I will. So now you are taking runtime decisions on something that was probably likely there was data a day early to tell you that this is not going to work out. And that leads to the second question, Akshay. Let's say I have six buses. Must I run six buses every seven days of the week if I can make more money running five some days of the week? Schedules don't have to be exactly same every day of the week. Trains don't run seven days of the week. Flights don't run exactly the same schedule seven days of the week. You anyways need maintenance time off for some vehicles some day of the month. Can we plan it around those lean days? Or we run this on a lean day and tomorrow on a high day, your bus is down for maintenance. A lot of uh, data and analytics and consumer patterns will, will give insights that may change the way we have done business so far. You are going with an asset light approach, though you still need to spend something every time you onboard a bus because of the box that you install in a bus. And you said you also spend on the fitting of the bathroom or you subsidize that? No. So we don't spend thing as a box is an inexpensive box. Hardware is very cheap. Uh, actually, it's, it's probably like something like 15, 20,000 rupees thereabouts. We do spend on branding because we think that's part of our marketing uh, brand building expense. We may choose not to do it. That's how you build trust. But it helps us in customer acquisition. Uh, people see the bus, it goes around the town during daytimes, during evenings. It's a free asset which I can use for advertising. Instead of hiring billboards inside the city, I can paint my own buses. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we have actually chosen a fairly, I would say, eye-catching combination. And I don't know if you've seen some of our buses on the road, but the entire positioning is around high-tech, connected buses, visible color, the big that pin, that location pin, and the moving location pin in the green and blue. We do consciously take a call to make that visible because that's why people see it. They're maybe standing at a destination, they see three buses pass by. And they say, let me check this bus out tomorrow. But do you need uh, funds to scale this up? Uh, have you already raised funds? Tell me about that. You raised 15 million by about 2018, you told me. So we raised roughly another 15 million since then. And I didn't tell you the COVID story, by the way. The two years we were uh, we were battling a different problem altogether. <laughs> yeah. That next tranche of 15 million was pre-COVID or post-COVID? Pre-COVID. Okay. So you got your timing right. Okay. Yeah, we got the timing that way. Yeah, you can say that. But I think what it also highlights is that our business has been extremely capital efficient. And I think intuitively or maybe consciously, that's where we wanted our business to be. Where the, in, at least in my mind, the ideal business is one that feeds off an organic traffic base. Which is really a three which is really R3, gives me a high margin product that integrates with my strength, which is my traveler traffic, and gives me a differentiated product, which I don't have to discount for selling. Now, my OTS, those channel guys may still choose to discount it. That's, that's just their call. So if, if Paytm and Redbus wants to give a 10% discount to fight amongst themselves, it's perfectly fine with me. But the traveler should say, I want to travel by an intercity smart bus. So this model allows us to benefit to a point where, you know, even if a person doesn't buy a bus ticket, they choose to go by train, we still make money. So at least from our perspective, we are giving traveler all the choices. You can either travel by train or by bus. Now that's what 95% of the market is really speaking. Right? We are giving you the choice of train. By all means, book. Railyatri helps you book the best train tickets. So we've done that always. Right? We know often you wouldn't get the train of your choice. We have a bus service that is as good or better than trains. We want to try that, right? And the business model is, a, should you choose to travel by intercity today? That's great. We want to do that. 
you want to try tomorrow we are happy again too right so in some sense we have built a fairly powerful self traveler acquiring platform and a compelling product out there that meets the need of the travelers two two things i want to understand well, let me start first with so your top of the funnel is really at three right that's if you get that is one of my top of the funnel okay what else is there so we do sell on ota platform so we do sell on redbus abibus paytm we sell on all those places too they are our channel partners what is the split how much on uh, through your own like how much is the d2c about a third of it is b2c and two third is split between offline and online partners okay you sell offline also like the traditional travel agents you, you give them a way to also book so they we have a network of registered uh, travel partners who have our they have a booking platform they use the intercity booking platform they still book so everybody books online by the way there's no offline but the customer is an offline experience but they've been acquired offline yeah for the customer is offline yeah okay 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 and what do you want this ratio to be see i expect the way if i look at the trends i expect offline to continue to decline if i see i expect uh, this 33% to probably reach to like a 45 50%. I think I, I think 40 40 45 55 is something I can see around the corner and it will probably happen through offline getting getting contracted over time. You would obviously earn better margin when it's sold through Relia 3 funnel. Yes, we earn better margin. Yeah. So, are you spending to increase that funnel size or you're letting that grow organically? we are not spending aggressively to grow that funnel size if i look at it our whole idea is to reach out to travelers so we do advertise and we do reach out to all the travelers who are out there uh, but i we believe our ecosystem is large enough for us to advertise we don't have to go out and spend further on it okay so you don't need like facebook and google ads that's not really our own platform is free advertising so i get 15 million travelers every month that advertising is free for me and then my partners are anyway getting us more customers who are anyway going out and talking about it so our strategy is more of incremental strategy we may acquire more if we believe that our current three legs are going to underperform and that could be a route wise day wise kind of a call that needs to be taken but we wouldn't do a blanket spend to acquire more customers because it has to be a function of the gap that my current organic is able to provide and my supply side plans what is your inventory as on date how many buses how many seats so i mean you're saying so we are currently in about 220 230 schedules a day 230 buses running a day that's what it means some buses may do more than one but we measure schedules we don't matter you don't measure buses by themselves and about journeys let's put it that like 230 journeys yeah and that will basically mean about 6 7000 seats a day it will come to about little under 2 lakh seats a month and what's your average selling price our average selling price is roughly around 1300 rupees that will come to between 27 28 25 27 cr a month Currently, intercity would be your biggest revenue item, right? Like, it would be our biggest revenue. And I think what is also important is that our business, from that perspective, with scale, with demand, we are, I think, one of the largest. We are the largest, I think, single branded fleet now in the country. And the business is also at probably the only, I would say, in two years, the business is almost close to a break-even stage. So, tell me about that that two years COVID period and how you survived. Yeah, COVID period for us was the time when we invested. in terms of upgrading the entire platform and the infrastructure that was the ideal time to do disruptive changes into the system so when we had started off 
the entire platform was not intercity platform. It was a mixed match of something that we had built and something that we were using market products, out, out, off the shelf products. Partly because uh, those products were there. And partly because we ourselves had not gotten enough first-hand experience of the requirements to build a technology product to help operate a fleet of that scale. It took us almost a year to get the entire requirement soaked in as to what is needed. When was the first bus journey? It happened in February or March, February 2019. So you had that year of experience before COVID hit. So it took us an year to soak in all the requirements, translate them into engineering because there is no products in the market. There are only ticket selling products. There's no integrated product that maps customer happiness to a vehicle, to a driver, to a crew, to an operator, to a trip and target which issues and ticket creations and people to be kind of working on them was a crew app integrated to all this common centralized platform, those pieces weren't there, right? Yeah, it's like building an operating system for running a fleet. Exactly, right. So actually, by the end of the first year, we had created our integrated platform. And it sounds a bit funny when I think about it. We were having a lot of debates as to when to replace that with the legacy product that we had in place. It had been a year. And I remember me and Manish arguing about it. Manish was saying, let's Put in the platform, the current mix mishmash that we have is just taking too much time, it's limiting this, that. And I was saying, what about the business, the running business? You can't replace the entire heart of the system, it's going to cause disruptions, and you know, customer going to be mad, and you know, who's going to look at the system in your top line? And, and the debate was like, just, just you know, couldn't find the right answer time to can we do it in parts? Let's do it in the best zone first and then roll it out in patches. And, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, everything came to a stop. COVID settled that debate for you. And then first few days, it didn't occur to me that this is going to be so long, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, nobody thought it would be so long. Yeah, so first 24 hours, we were just watching TV, I would say. And then the tube light started to flicker on the second day or third day that this isn't going away so fast. And then I think even before the week was out, we said... This is the time to do all the work that we've been debating for so long. Let's get uh, engineering cracking. Let's just completely replace all the legacy patchwork components. And here is a brand new integrated solution is going to come in and push everything out. It so happened we got far more time than we had anticipated. I think the first lockdown lasted almost three months. But when we started working in it mid end of March, we thought realistically, you know, April tak kar lenge. Things want to be like that. April we nikal gaya and then came May and then May went by and then came June. And But what we also realized in the process when the testing and all happened, we realized there were still gaps to be plugged and bugs to be fixed. So actually it did take a little over two, two and a half months. And uh, But the great thing is that when it all started in June, and again it started very small, a trickle, the travel started the trickle. It kind of gave us the right platform to ramp up and keep fixing and improving as travel pig. Yeah, in hindsight, turned out to be for all the good, but uh, it could have been a different story for somebody else. Universe conspired to like... (laughs) (laughs) You could almost say that, yeah. Do you cross-sell stuff to customers once they're on the bus? You have that captive audience uh, on the bus. Uh, There is an opportunity like maybe food or whatever. Yes, so yes. OTT subscriptions, uh, stuff like that. We do limited cross-selling, not a lot. We do cross-sell a food and it can be done either in the bus or you can also order pre-booked food for a pit stop. Usually the trips do have a pit stop. It's a eight, nine hour journey. So after five hours or so, there's small 15 minute pit stop. That, that pit stop is integrated with you. So with whatever orders are placed in the bus, the pit stop people will have that ready for. Correct. 
yeah, the pit stop is integrated already, and people can look at what's there and then choose to or they can choose not to do. That's one. We also have some brands who want to offer their products to the customers, either for free distribution, our customer consumer awareness. Okay, sampling. A sampling kind of thing that also happens. Some products are sold along with uh, the ticket, like a free insurance or uh, maybe some coupons that could be sold. I mean, those are different. They are just revenue line items for us. Right, the way it happens on flights, like you can do add-ons. Uh, correct, correct, correct. You can do an add-on. So that happens. And uh, do you also sell excess baggage add-ons? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we do have an excess baggage. Yes. It's the biggest source of revenue for a lot of airlines. <laughs> you know, uh, people are traveling lighter and lighter. Excess baggage is not a main use case. And so I would say it's an, it's a, it's an edge case most travelers. Yeah. Is it mandatory to download an app when you get on the bus? No, no, it's not mandatory, but it helps. How do you make people download the app? That would be one of your key goals, right? To have more people download the app. See, the way we work is the app has been designed to for the traveler to get maximum out of the bus, right? In terms of features, information inside the bus, data, even some stuff like, you know, upgrading a seat or talking to a captain, stuff like that. A lot of features are out there in the bus. We position this more as a something that, how do I say it? If the traveler's interest to carry up, they'll get the full value from the ticket that they've booked. It's more, I like to say, you are entitled to get all the benefits that you've paid for. I wouldn't say that you are. it's mandatory for you. If you if we choose to travel with lesser value, that's fine with us. But we've built it so that you get the most out of it. That's the whole idea. So we do communicate in the bus that there are several other things that you stand to, that you should use it's for your own comfort and convenience. But we don't make it mandatory. So what's your expansion plan now? Do you want to uh, increase the fleet size? Do you want to spend more on generating demand? Or do you want to raise funds? Talk to me a bit about the roadmap. So the way we are thinking about it now is we do want to increase the scale. And our preference currently is to go, we'll go deeper onto the routes where we already present. We are present in about 45 routes. And we believe that instead of adding more, we've gotten coverage. It kind of makes sense to spread out a bit, at least cover all the spokes from a particular hub because it makes customer acquisition efficient. So let's say I'm doing some campaign in Bangalore. It helps if I have all the exits going out of Bangalore covered by my service. So then anybody who wants to search for my bus on a route at least doesn't say no results found. That doesn't have, shouldn't happen. Once that is covered, uh, we want more options to be available on a route. That's again an efficient form of scaling. It doesn't require more manpower. It doesn't require a new market. It just requires us to build on repeats and experience. So my... Our plan is that for the next, I would say, six months, if I were to look in, we will go deeper on the routes where we are already in, expand our market share, have more operators sign up on it. And basically, what it means is, of course, more demand. So uh, the area where we may want to spend a little bit more is to see whether the demand increase keeps pace with supply or vice versa. And that's the balance that uh, in this business has to strike. How do you strike that balance to make sure that you don't end up with oversupply and not enough demand? So that's where it kind of comes to... So See, because we add capacity in lots of a bus, right? 30 seats at a time. And let's say we're already running, let's say, 10 buses on a particular route. We would have a sense on the demand for those 10. Usually for an 11th and the 12th to come in, the 10 should be running at a certain occupancy level. If they're already like 80-90% occupancy levels. Exactly, exactly. So when they start hitting 85-90% and they get starting sold out on, on high days, on five days of the month, you know that you don't have headroom for... Increasing your repeats or increasing your customer base. So actually, if you do a good job, our route will automatically tell you when it is ready for an upgrade for a for a capacity increase. Yeah. 
Now the only question there is, do we wait for the roots to tell us when it's ready or do we want to prepone that artificially? That's the only call. But do you want to spend on increasing demand? We do. That's what I'm saying. We do spend on increasing demand. And it's a decision taken at a root level. See, the thing is that, especially in mobility with perishable inventory, it's important that uh, a lot of perishable inventory doesn't get wasted. That's one. But second, it's also important that there is no point me advertising in Nagpur when I don't have a bus between, let's say, Nagpur to Indore. So it has to be a very targeted spend marketing running on cities, on routes where we have travelers. It's very easy to have high leakage on advertising where people may know about you, but they're never going to consume. You would only want to target high-end, like someone who's going from Bangalore to Hyderabad would be the kind of person you would want to target. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And which is why I said, it's important to have my Bangalore coverage because what you realize is if you are advertising to Bangalore to Hyderabad, you will also reach people who are traveling from Bangalore to Belgaon, for example. Now, if you don't have a service to Bangalore to Belgaon, that's wasted impressions. So then it makes sense to at least cover, let's say, the top seven destinations that, let's say, comprise 80% of all outgoing traffic. Let's say Tirupati, Goa, Mangalore, and then you can say, let me advertise Bangalore, Hyderabad. Okay, okay. So you've been uh, extremely capital efficient till date. So you want to plan to continue that? Do you want to raise more funds? What's the plan there? No, we will be raising more funds. The capital efficiency is inherent in the business that's there. It's not something that uh, we are enforcing on the business. And I think what the way we are looking at it is that we will raise capital now to scale up the business, not to subsidize an inefficient part of the business. So there are two reasons, right? You want to scale because the business is losing money. Every customer is losing money. That, that's one reason, right? You want for sustenance. We are essentially trying to now raise capital for growth. And and I think we've also gotten comfort that, the, that we have, uh, we've taken the business to a state where we want it to be to make it scale-friendly. And I think even the mood in the industry is like that. People want to, I think, invest more in businesses which are which are proven to be a little bit more, yeah. Scale-friendly, that's a that's a nice term. It's the first time I'm hearing this term, but it's very nice, scale-friendly. Yeah, you, you made it scale-friendly by putting in place all of those processes, the workflow automations, the, yeah. the apps for each stakeholder, so that now it's like rinse and repeat kind of a... And what is the size that you want to raise now? The next round? Uh, we're looking for a, a, about a, a 30 million thereabouts, what we think is adequate for us. And our expectation is that we should be reaching close to a $100 million in revenue run rate in the next 12 months or so. And, and then we want to do a 2x increase year on year for the next two years. What you're building is so unique. Is there anyone else who's taking this approach of bringing the airline operating model to buses? Oh, yeah. So now I think there are about, I would say, good four or five guys who are trying to do it in their own way. Yeah. So look at globally. I know, you know, Fixbus has been trying, has, has shown that the tech first bus market in Europe and the US, they've done quite a few other countries. If I look at India, I think the earliest was maybe a Hail Trip, which is a Ford company, Ford Mobility Company. They run some bus services in South. Then there were uh, two other players. Zing Bus is doing one. There's a Vigo bus in Jaipur. There is a... Chalo is uh, intracity, right? It's not intercity. Chalo is doing intracity for these state-owned buses. Yeah. From what I know, they are primarily doing a ticketing and a tracking platform. But I may be a, a bit out of date if there's something new happening there. But compared to these players which you've talked about, they seem to be like regional players. So you are probably like the only pan-India player with the kind of skill. Yes, we are the, yeah, I think we are the only truly pan-India player with a proven product market fit. I think uh, we kind of that way, I think established ourselves quite well so far. 
And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.